Welcome back to another episode of the Untitled Philosophy Podcast. I am Antonio, with always David. David, With always David. I am well, how are you? I'm good. It's early, so I'm occasionally going to skip a word, because with always doesn't make any sense. But that's (laughs) fine. (laughs) With me always would be a better way to say it. You wish I was with you always. In my heart you are. That's all that matters. I wish I was with anyone else other than the same person I've seen for the last year. No, don't say that. <laughs> She's going to watch the video. <laughs> I need other humans. It's so nice to see other people. Oh, no, we need humans? Ah, what a novel invention. I'd even settle for a dog. Maybe a cat. No. no, they have their own personalities, too. After a year trapped in a room with them, that gets bad, too. Yeah, I can see that. Oh, well. Anyway. You need a robot love companion. Well, now things are going to get weird. (laughs) I already have an Alexa. It's like having another woman in the house. Doesn't listen to you, occasionally responds with the wrong thing. That is true. That is true. Occasionally helps you, though. Every once in a while. I was watching a a Jimmy Kimball, uh, like a YouTube thing of him. And his whole thing was just getting Alexa to do shit. And it worked. It was annoying. I had to turn her off. Mm-hmm. Because it was just... <laughs> it's freaking annoying as hell. Mm-hmm. So, what are we doing today? Respirating. Probably digesting. Ourselves or our meals. Something. I am so mad at you right now. Furious. That's what I'm here for. Um, Today we're going to talk about, uh, I guess, second life or multiple lives that you might have that you can lead through things like video games. Mm -hmm. Um, And not just video games, too. We're probably going to talk a little bit about like D&D and tabletop RPGs. Those aren't the same. I don't think you get the same responses. Um, Probably focus mostly on video games. Yeah, it's something that's more accessible to everybody, too. Not everybody has those dozens and dozens of hours that it might take to do a D&D campaign. Oh, my God, yeah. I did it for, like, two or three weeks, and I had to tap out. It's, it's a lot of energy and effort, more so than I put into my own life. Yeah. So, no, no, thank you. I'm not going to plan out my, my class and all this stuff and keep track of what I have in my knapsack. No, no. That's what a game does for me. That's why video games are far superior. Some of those groups are very welcoming. I went to visit my friend in Ottawa, and they had a weekly D&D campaign. And they invited me in, and it was fantastic. So really, it took us almost three hours to get it up and running between rolling for class, rolling for traits, trying to organize my just your character so that you can join their game. Yeah. And then you get through maybe one battle, or, and then it's, okay, we're done for this week. Come back next week for the next four-hour episode. Yeah, that was like the first one for us. It took a long time to get it up and running, and then we didn't even do anything that day. I think we just got everything going of who your who your character is, some backstory, and then the next game we did like one mini little quest. But um, so why are we talking about this? Well, one, I read an article um, popped up on my feed that was interesting. These articles are, I forgot exactly where it was from. Oh, yeah, 
getpocket.com. So some kind of like quasi decent website for here's an interesting little story, but here's only about a page or two of it. Pique your interest and then, you know, look into the citations if you want later on for the, the actual science behind it. Um, so that, that popped up. And then I was also watching the episode in the office where Dwight has, he's playing second life and he just, okay. he does his exact same life. So he's a paper salesman, except he can fly. So just, <laughs> he only alters like one thing. That's the only thing you need to change though. If I could fly, everything about my life would be significantly better. Well, you wouldn't need a car except for when it rains, I guess. Yeah. I suppose you still need a car because it'd be hard to carry around a wife and kid as you're flying and they wouldn't appreciate you just, you know, bugging off by yourself. No, not usually. No, no. Then you can do the whole Superman brooding thing in Antarctica and create your own Superman cave. We would need super strength to make this work. Otherwise we just freeze to death. You, You don't need super strength. You just build a little igloo. You just need yeah. like, uh, a, you know, a knife or an axe for that. Some snow and ice. You're solid. Sure. Yeah, no, I was reading an article a long time ago where somebody just decided to destroy, destroy all of the notions that you would want superpowers. And with flight, it was very much, you know, if you fly too high, there's no oxygen, you're going to die. If you fly, you know, slightly lower than that, it's going to be too cold, you're going to die. Even if you're just flying too fast, you were probably going to die. If a stone hits you, a bug hits you, birds hit you. Or just the wind chill of flying that fast anywhere. So really, you just have to be like a dirigible. You go like a good five kilometers an hour, just floating through the air. Well, That'd I mean, be the best you can hope for. Why not just levitate off the ground by like a foot or two and then just you know, go along with traffic? <laughs> What's the problem with that? Wear a really long trench coat, just start haunting people. Yeah. I mean, that works for me. Um you haunt many people and many locations. You could. And Ask I'd your do. wife. That's right. In our four-room condo, I haunt most of them. Specifically this room. I'm always yes. around. And I leave the window open, so it's always too cold for her. So it's like the, the chill of death is in the air. You're um, living the experience. Living the dream. Okay, so... This, uh, the article that I read was basically going over some research about why we enjoy video games so much. Um, very specific kinds of video games, um, RPGs for the most part. So, role playing games, which is why we mentioned Dungeons and Dragons. And I thought the article had some interesting points about kind of self actualization or self development in these games which is one of the the drawing factors to these types of games. And we're going to talk more about the specifics of that article, but I'm also interested in more of the broader implications of it. Um, I don't know how you can, I don't know how easy it is to import some of these ideas that we're going to talk about when it comes to things like first person shooters or, um, you know, micromanaging games like Minecraft or something, but those probably do speak to a kind of personality trait or, to, to things that might calm you or, you know, something you enjoy. So I'm interested in that. Um, so the article itself talked about how, in general, 
you know, these games like uh, Vice City, for example, or uh, not Vice City, that's a specific one, but uh, GTA. Sorry about talking off about GTA, but you, know, you have this kind of open-ish world concept where you can pretty much do what you want. I know the newer games, you can, pretty, you can do way more than you could in some of the older ones. You couldn't just go into any building, for example. They weren't all populated. But you can operate within the city that has its own kind of set of arbitrary rules, just like ours. You can buy property. You could go out on a murder spree. You could hire prostitutes. You could take odd jobs. You could become a cab driver if you want. Um, so it was interesting um, because when I first started reading it, I, I assumed the article was going to get to this idea that you get to play out you know, other aspects of your personality or things that you'd like to test out. So, you know, you might be a very you know, straight lace, straight edge individual in real life, but when it comes to the GTA game, you, you want to you know, imagine what it's like to just be a criminal or a villain and you play that out. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I assumed. But the article suggested in the research that that's not what we do, that we end up kind of defaulting or reverting back to our own personalities within these games but to what, uh, like a platonic ideal of our of ourselves, we we try and do what we'd really really like to do, but either don't have the capacity or something for it. So that's what interested me initially about it. Um, what were some of your thoughts about that kind of initial part of that article? I find that it tracked very well with my experience playing those games. I know I'm maybe jumping a little bit ahead here, but for me, it's always been about creating more or less a version of myself that I, that I would like to embody. It's very much a matter of, um, I will always do probably two playthroughs and then get bored on the third. The first one is like my head cannon. It's I go in blind, I create a character. For some reason, I always end up doing like Paragon, Knight, whatever the, whatever the light class is. I'm trying to help everybody. I try and de-escalate situations. The second one, I, second playthrough, I'll tend to look up some strategy guides so that I can save even more people. Yeah. And then the third one that invariably I end up quitting halfway through is just like play a dirtbag. And I just get bored. I tried that with a couple of games and maybe got two hours in. And I was like, I don't even like being this character. I'm going to turn this thing off. Yeah. So to me, it tracks. That makes sense that people would want to default to their, their best selves because we incline certain ways anyway. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised at how much I agreed with that. Um, Though there are times where I mean, there might be competing factors here. So I guess first, let's make sure, you know, we've kind of already defined the term, the games are talking about. We're looking at things like, you know, strictly role-playing games for this first part. Right. So uh, game, you mentioned... Games like since that Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, you Grand mentioned. Theft Auto. You mentioned Dragon Age is another one of them. Dragon Age, um, Mass Effect. Yeah, Fable, Fable to a degree. Uh, I know there's more. I'm not too you know caught up with games that much anymore skyrim i think is one of them that has it um probably well that's a massive multiplayer but i was going to say war world of warcraft i think that's more yeah yeah so these kind of games at its core give you uh it's like a sandbox style where you can just go out and play with whatever physical features are there and you interact with the npcs and other players um so it gives you this you know allure or you know fake version of reality that you can operate in and you have agency within there to a degree, right? Your character can only do so much. Yeah, but there's really, uh, these games usually have maybe 20, 30 hours of story content, but you can play them for hundreds of hours, just running around and building a life and, and doing things, engaging in the, in the 
modification and crafting systems if they have them, yeah. building homes, things like even Fallout, the most recent Fallout gives that a portion. You can play very quickly and rush to the main campaign. But there's also a side story where you can build bases and, and do those kinds of things and help individuals and you can get caught up doing that forever. Yeah, you, you, you literally can treat it like life, right? You have to do a certain amount of things to get the resources you might need to do these other more interesting endeavors later on, which more cash out your personality style. Um, so those are the games we're, we're specifically talking about. And so when I was reading it, the only, I guess, point of contention that I had with it was, yeah, I think for the most part, I tend to act out the same character. I think uh, you'd call it like the tank class. It's usually the thing that goes in first, soaks up all the damage in a way is like a meat shield. Yeah. Um, I tend to want to only play that because I, I'm very bored with any other kind of play style. I don't, I don't like to be uh. patient with things. Um, I prefer more like aggressive, violent action in video games than I do, um, you know, passive stuff. But that's not how I am in, in life at all. Uh -huh. uh, I'm like the definition of passive when it comes to most things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm, I'm aggressive or violent ever. Um, I tend to not Until care it comes to that. philosophy. And even then, it's, it's like a, a, a begrudgingly aggressive way to do stuff. Uh, but I, th I thought that didn't track in a clear one-to-one. Um, but certainly aspects of like being the, being the person who probably takes on more responsibility than they need to is trying to ensure that other people aren't taking any, you know, damage or aren't being affected. That is more of my personality style. Maybe a little bit impatient because you don't want to spend the next 20 hours leveling up a mage so that you can do more damage. Yeah, I, I am impatient when it comes to many, many things in the world. I will agree with that one. Um, but then, so there was this other game I played when I was younger. Um, one of the Star Wars, I think, Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. And Fable to a degree as well, where I always made the evil character. I, I always went to that dark side because it was just interesting and nothing at all what like, my life was actually like. Mm -hmm. um, the decisions themselves, I didn't revel in. So like having to you know, go and murder innocent people just so I could get some achievement and become, you know, slightly more evil. That wasn't really fun, but it was goal-oriented. It was instrumental evil. Yeah. I knew what I was doing because I wanted some end. To, I wanted to see how the game progressed from this completely different perspective that I would never take in real life. Yeah. So I was a little annoyed that the article didn't talk more about that. Like, they very briefly mentioned that, you know, Seems like, at least research, we'll dabble in that other side, but we yeah. tend to default back to our you know, good selves. And I, just, I might just be one of the exceptions to the rule, right? It's just an average, I guess, they're talking about. Uh, it would be interesting to see how well they broke it down into the age group and socioeconomic group. Because I'm sure there's a sense of, of this where if it's a teenager, for instance where we don't have that fully developed frontal lobe. We're still trying to figure out who we are as a person. Our emotions and our hormones are a little bit in flux. Yeah, sometimes the best way to deal with conflict is to go into a, an imaginary world, take up a sword, and start hacking people. 
It's not because our personality wants us to be evil. It's because we don't have a one-to-one outlet for the sheer volume of emotion that we're experiencing. Yeah, it gives us a, a way to, gives us an outlet, but it also gives us an outlet, I think more specifically, that has no consequence. Right. Absolutely. You're not going to go out and you're not going to go out and punch your teacher. You're not going to go out and kick a brother or sister necessarily, or throw them in traffic. But you can do that in a video game, right? You can create you can create imaginary characters depending on how open world the, the game is. Like you see the people that play this even the Sims. There's no role playing element, but eventually they always create a character, lock him in a room and starve him to death or toss him in the pool. Some eventually somebody does something a little bit sociopathic with their characters. Yeah, I would say most of us try that at least once, just to see. Um, I always do that. I always try and do the, the dumbest things that will potentially kill the character, because, again, there's no consequence. You just revert back to the last save. Right. Um, and that's something I want to talk about more, is this, like, you know, working in, working in a world with lack of consequence. Um, but, but first, one of the more interesting aspects of the article for me, and I think this is just true in video games in general, I did a video on this a while ago already, we will project ourselves onto that avatar and onto that character. We project either our whole character or something specific, right? The ideal version of it, or even parts of your character that you don't like to really show very much in the world or that you don't show very much in the world. Mm -hmm. These these little things become a version of ourselves, which is kind of cool. I always like things that you can really displace your identity and that you can just project onto and you have sure. control over because it gives you the option to just play around with aspects of your character um, with, as I said, no consequences whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And if, if you don't like the results of killing all those NPCs, um, you just revert back to the last save and everything's fine. You, you tested one avenue of, of life and you realize, well, that's a bad one. Let's go <laughs> back and do another one, which is really cool. Um, and I think that's one of the main draws, especially when I was playing games. I don't play them as often now, but that was one of like my main draws is this idea of no consequence. Um, mm-hmm. Acting out in ways that I want to in the moment. I don't have to have forethought. I don't have to you know, think of consequences. I can just act. Um, so I always found that rather interesting about games and something. It told me a little bit about myself when I got older, about my level of like risk-taking, what characteristics specifically in my own self that I want to emphasize and others that I just try and stay away from, right? You have, everyone always has yeah. those aspects of themselves that they tend to be a little bit weary of or they temper with. And games let you feed into that aspect if you want. It gives you that outlet. But it also highlights sometimes when you probably shouldn't go down that road. Sure. Yeah, I wonder how much of that would overlap with a study on empathy, the degree to which people invest emotionality in the characters that they're harming, so that Mm. you do go back. I mean, you don't have to go back to a previous save where all of the village that you destroyed is still fully together and alive. You don't have to do that. And it probably wouldn't really impact the story arc. You know, if you destroyed that village, you'd kill those people within the context of some games. Yeah, the next village over might hear about it, or it might give you some renegade points. Your crew might look at you a little bit shifty the next time that you're on wherever you go and meet up with your crew. But there's some level of that that you're like, I don't really like the fact that I did that to those innocent people that aren't real people. So I'm going to revert back to that save point where they're all still alive, 
and just leave them over there in their corner and hope for the best for them. That takes yeah. a, a massive leap of empathy because you're not only imparting personhood on on people or things that look like people, they're, they're literally ones and zeros that have no vested interest in their continued existence other than maybe a scream when you hack them to death. But you yeah. feel bad that they don't exist in that world anymore, so you bring them back so that you can continue with your game knowing that they're safe. Yeah, and I think that makes... I mean, that's part of good game design um, is having these kinds of moral choices, right? Because those are going to affect you in a real-world situation. Uh, even though it's just a fake thing, right? It, it, it's still hard to go out and kill a bunch of you know, NPCs, uh, these non-player characters uh, that scream and act like they're in pain, even though you know it's literally not real. It is a computer <laughs> game. It is the, the sound still hits you the same way, and you have to live with the consequences of that action, right? That, that village is destroyed. Your, your crew looks at you shifty. If you're playing Fable, your character physically becomes, like, just looks more evil. Um, yes. Like from the crappy Star Wars movies, when Anakin slowly starts to look like a heroin addict, uh, addict after he starts killing all these people. Yeah, his eyes, his eyes get a little bit darker. Yeah. Drawn the, cheekbones a little bit more defined. The, the visual representation of evil in games is always interesting because it's, it's a permanent mark on your character at times. I don't, I don't know about every game, but I know like the, some of the ones I played, and both choices come out with a physical characteristic change. So you know, in, in yeah. Fable, the, the more light you are assigned, positive, like good, the, your character is usually like more handsome or more attractive. They're, they're more vibrant, they're more lively, people like them. Mm -hmm. And the opposite end is just this scrawny, you know, kind of sinewy, lizard-like thing um, <laughs> that just has, eventually grows horns because of how demonic they've become. Yes, um, in the first fable, you can actually get yourself a halo or horns. Yeah, you have a swarm of flies around you, which is... I, that's fine. I mean, I understand the, the the point of that game, right? It's one of the reasons why you you could play Fable and go full evil, or play Star Wars and go full evil, because your character physically changes in ways that are interesting and cool. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you you mentioned the moral stuff, um, which I find interesting because these games let us play out moral situations, which sometimes are. are stupidly binary right rarely yeah. is it ever a one-to-one -one. it's never really black and white but at least these games give us that interesting point because that is a part of your characteristic trait about what you want to do if, mm -hmm. if you, you kill the village and go back and you decide i don't really like this i'm going to unsave it or you know revert back that shows you a moral choice that you have made that's wrong now you want to go back and i was thinking more of like the telltale series i don't know if you've ever seen yeah. these or play I've, I've never played them but I've, I've watched someone play it once on twitch and it looks horribly boring like it just <laughs> it, it looked it was just the longest like every conversation has an impact on how a character might help you or treat you and how the game ends and you're making moral choices about who to save and who to die those were the interesting choices because mm -hmm. in, in one sense you're trying to win the game but in another sense, you know, it's hard to let a character who you might have you know, grown accustomed to or even liked as a character just die. Yeah. Um, 
But these, these RPGs give us these moral choices that we can toy with and we can kind of experiment and see how it feels again, without any consequences. Yeah. Which is an, it's like a, it's just an interesting case study for me. So as an ethicist, I, I like these kinds of decisions in games because you remove game theory and how you want to win. It's telling me a bit about you as a person. Um, yeah. You know, when I was, when I was playing uh, the D and D session for a couple of weeks, you know, some characters were just stubborn headed and kept making the worst decision and usually a morally questionable decision. And it kept getting things murkier and into shit. And it's just like, are you doing this because you find it interesting or is this how you would like to act in the actual world and you found an outlet for it? Because it's <laughs> disturbing if it is. Um, yeah. It always, it makes me question. Like when I, you know, I have, a, I have a younger cousin and when he plays these games, he tends to be fairly good aligned. And I think it would freak me out if I watched him play GTA and all he was doing was beating up prostitutes. Right. That would freak me out a little bit. Because at some point, you know, what part of these decisions are something that is inherent in your character that you'd like to try out? Right. Are you, are you doing sure. it because you just want the money in the game and it's just a, you know, a resource to get money? Or are you doing this because you're interested in what it would be like to have done this? Now we might want to call that a problem with game, game design at that point. If, if murdering people is the fastest way to get money and money makes the game easier or more fun, then, then there's a, you've, you've stripped morality out of it. You've made now questionable moral decisions for the sake of just basic game theory. What is the way that I'm going to enjoy this game the most? If I do this really shitty thing a couple dozen times, then I can have fun for the next 20 hours. Whereas if it's a moral decision of, is this crew member going to live or die? Or there are some, there's a new survival horror brand of games like until dawn um and the same studio has done a couple of them where you control all of the characters and if you don't make the right decisions they can all die you can you can fail to finish the game because you've killed everyone because you've made sloppy decisions or you've insulted them and then that person's gone off on their own and that was just part of the story because you insulted them and they're yeah. going to die because there's no way to get them back once they've gone into say that room yeah. So those, those I find really interesting because there's direct one-to-one -one consequences and it can affect the outcome of the game. Whereas with Grand Theft Auto, if you start hurting people and robbing them and murdering them, all you really have to do is return to your home base. The police rating drops down to nothing and you can go back to your business. So if you've killed a dozen people to get the money that you wanted to buy that rocket launcher, well, you reset the, you don't even have to go to an, an old set point. You just reset the world by going home. Yeah, and uh, I wonder how much of that is, is poor game design or it's an implication that you can't... So you can, you can go around GTA killing probably two or three people before your you know, notoriety, you know, notoriety goes up enough where you have to kind of flee. And it is annoying. It's not an easy system to scam. You might make right. like 15, 20 bucks, whatever the currency is out of them, but the, the annoyance of having to outrun the cops, get back to your where, safe house, go back again, isn't, is a decent discouragement to that kind of behavior. It's more of a, if you can do this, fine. Yeah. I'm going to uh, say it's not, I'm going to take, take back my poor game design, but it's not, it's a game design that doesn't emphasize moral choice. True. Which yeah, isn't, it, I don't think, what GTA is trying to do in the first place. You're not, 
no. you're playing suspect characters to begin with yeah. that I think incline you in that direction as opposed to games like a Mass Effect or a Dragon Age or Dungeons and Dragons tabletop stuff where you could literally do anything that you want with the character and then suffer the consequences of it. That's true. Uh, the GTA stuff, I haven't played it as often. The last game I played GTA was probably Vice City. And obviously you're, you're, you're a criminal in this thing. But yeah. you don't have to. I mean, you, there's the storyline that encourages you to do these acts and you, you get more property and so on. But you can also just do other things to earn property, to earn money and to just kind of literally have a built-in economy in the system where you're just driving around town, doing whatever you want, having mm -hmm. fun which is generally how I played the game. I, rarely did I ever make it past probably the fourth or fifth mission. Just enough so that I could have... <laughs> I mean, just enough so that I could start accessing purchasing property. Because once you yeah. have property, you can rent property and then you make money off of it. Yeah. Which, that was just fun. Because then I just get to drive around the city and eventually obey all the speed laws. <laughs> stop it. So... The moral choices, they're not always great. We talk about them being binary. Sometimes you have you know, game design flaws that you know, encourage individuals or at least don't punish them for making these morally abject choices. Um, right. That's fine. I'm interested. I, I'm just happy that these choices are in there because it gives us, an, it gives us a, a way to play around with kind of self-actualization or who we are within Absolutely. a game without any consequences, right? Uh, not everyone is going to play GTA and think of these things as moral choices. And that's totally mm -hmm. fine. But some people might. Um, some people might have that distaste in their mouth after they have done certain things. And they do yeah. revert. Or if they never revert the game, that's fine. But at least you've had that distasteful thought. And you wonder why. Um, that's always interested me about games. What I'm getting from this discussion so far is that if you were, if you were in, you're, you want to be a landlord version of your personality that you want to engage in is your is the landlord landlord tenant relationship uh, mostly about money it was which i think was, most of these games come down to it was it was a freedom i mean my, my character eventually got to the point where they didn't have to consistently work for someone else to generate mm -hmm. income and they could do you could do what you wanted to wait, you know, within, within degrees, rarely did I go out and kill people and do these because it just ruined the game for me. And I was like, okay, now I have to run from the police. Did I run fast enough? If I get caught, I'm going to lose all my stuff. Crime doesn't pay. It's just annoying. <laughs> Your character and, is just an indictment of the capitalist system is at this point. You're a filthy communist. And, and like, that, that is my general feel. Like I don't want to be the guy who's working you know, 10 hours a day in a job he doesn't like. I, I would rather do a job I, I enjoy until I don't have to do it anymore to live a comfortable life and then bugger right off. I, I have mm -hmm. no interest in, in that system for the rest of my existence until I'm 65. That's annoying. Um, if you think pensions are going to be around when you're 65, <laughs> sure. Probably not. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, guess something like property is an investment that's usually not going to go away, which is how I also view my my life and my choices. So in a sense, yeah, I am I'm self actualizing my ideal self. Um, yeah. Would my ideal self fly a helicopter? No, because I'm terrified of heights. But maybe <laughs> my ideal version would say, "Screw it, let's get into a helicopter." There, there's a there's a quote in the game. There's a quote from the article, excuse me, that I wanted to, to talk about, and we'll, we'll get into the, you know, the self-actualization stuff afterwards, but I thought it was interesting. 
So the quote that I was talking about, um, to paraphrase it, basically, within our you know, regular existence, we have pressures and expectations and obligations on what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to think, and how we act. And in video games, we don't have those pressures. We're, we're allowed to act out what these people are kind of calling you know, your ideal self or you know, your self-actualizing what you would like to be at best. And I think it rings true to a point, right? In video games, you can do kind of what you would like to do and you know, be kind of you know, an ideal version of yourself. But I don't know, you know how much self-actualization you get in a video game versus how much you might have self-expression. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's more the important part, right? Like self-actualization for me is, I mean, I guess it's a process, right? But what these people are saying is that you know, at the heart of these games, it makes a little bit of sense, but you get to act out in ways that you might not physically be able to act out and you might not um, you know, be able to kind of emotionally or even just normally in life. There's things that prevent you from acting in these ways. And in video games, there is no prevention. There's no hard rules against this. So you get to act out in these kinds of, uh, in these kinds of manners. But I wonder more of how much of self-expression that is rather than self-actualization the more I talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a bit about this kind of the difference between you know, self-actualization, self-expression, and then in the end, I want to talk a little bit about self-determination as well, which is another reason why these games kind of you know, grab you and really keep you in. Sure. Well, first I want to open up with a question. I, I, for me, I see self-expression as a gateway to self-actualization. Where what do you, what kind of distinction would you make there? I guess I, the, the, I guess the worry I have with the actualization is because you're not you're not actualizing anything in these games, right? You're 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 actualizing what your character is going to be, whatever that specific you know entity's life goals are. That's what get actualized. I think it's more of a, a version of self-expression of how I would like to live my life, but not actualization because I'm not changing anything about physics. I'm not changing anything in the, in the actual world when I act this way. Um, nothing about me will probably change the more games I play. I mean, that's up for debate. I think that's a, that's too broad of a stroke. <laughs> to say. It's a door. Um, it, it's a door. Right. But I, I, I guess that's what I, um, that's the distinction that I'm seeing. And it could be a, just a false distinction that I'm making. But actualization, mm-hmm. I would say, has to have some kind of real-world impact rather than this digital sense. Even, even there, I think we've, I, there's some wiggle room. Mm-hmm. Because if you do something enough in a video game, you're more likely to entrench it as part of your personality. And while you're not going to make yourself a latte by playing 20 hours of Halo, you might develop some reaction skills. You might develop some instinctual feelings towards certain situations Mm. and when you get into those more role-play based games if you treat people kindly enough and you get rewarded for it in the game it can be a self-reinforcing behavior so expression can turn to actualization in that regard if you play through say the mass effect trilogy and at the end you realize or it just touches you deeply about what that feeling of heroically possibly saving the universe might be like now, you're not going to save the universe in our day-to-day lives, yeah. but you might carry through some of that the warm, like, I want to be that hero feeling with you for a little while longer. So while it might not make somebody definitely a better person, it could. Okay. 
I, I guess the way, as you say it, the way that I would kind of describe it in my own mind is it, it's not the, the micro interactions. It's probably that the, the meta thing about it. You know, if your character, if you, you know, consistently work at a coffee shop or as a forklift driver in these things and, and you're doing a kind of action, maybe that means that you're more dedicated in real life or you're, you're willing to work a certain way and do a certain kind of thing to get a certain lifestyle. So in a meta sense, fine, I can kind of grant it, but I do okay. it as I roll my eyes. <laughs> because I, I, I see the connections there. I just don't buy that they might be as strong as at least the, the paper. And we'll, we'll definitely link this like little source in the, the notes, right? At least I, I don't think it's as strong as they're making it out to be. I haven't read the initial report that they use, like the, the scientific background. It might be like much, much stronger than I'm giving it credit for. Um, yeah. But I didn't dig that far deep into this, into the secondary literature for this article. No, no, that's, that would definitely... I would definitely leave that open to some skepticism. I definitely think that if you're playing hundreds of hours of Halo to the point where you get the nickname, the chicken kicker, that you're probably not going to carry the, the skill to chicken kick out into the world with you. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you're talking about expression in a, in a one-to-one scenario, that would be tricky outside of like the war sims where they're very much training programs for maybe drone pilots. You might not get that one-to-one, hey, I'm good at X, so I should be good at Y. Or I behave like X, so I should behave at Y. Mm. But if self-expression is sort of that global notion that you're willing to grant, you know, people that are rewarded for behaving well in video games might take some of those behaviors out into the world, then, then possibly. Possibly we have self-actualization. I think self-expression would have been a better phrase. At least yeah. that's concrete. Then I can say, you know, I, I've expressed this notion. If you, if you want to fly planes, you can do a plane flying sim and see if it gives you the feelings that you would think that you would get flying a plane. Yeah. And not one of those Sims where it's like, I pressed left, I pressed right, A, B, and now I'm flying. But one of those Sims like I played once where you have 4,000 buttons and they all do something and you're working with the altimeter and you're working with the, the wings and you're working with the flaps and you're working with engine and, and fuel feed. And it's like, no, I would not enjoy this in real life. No, not at all. Not, not, not those one-to-one simulations. Oh my God. Um, and video games don't even give us that, right? They don't even approximate. We're talking about moral choices at the most detailed, maybe some story-altering choices in the practical sense. We're really not going to do enough to train someone in masonry, things like that. Yeah, no, you're, you're not going to get that kind of level. Um, I had something on the tip of my tongue as you were talking about, and then I lost it. Hopefully I'll, I'll come back to it. There's a bit of the expression actualization part. Um, I guess, yeah, I think expression would have definitely been a better, a better way to, to have this, a more concrete aspect of yourself. But it, it, it's, it's come back to me. So very early on, I talked about how at least part of this, I think implicitly, is that you, you project your character and your identity onto this avatar. So I can see, or at least I can make an argument that it's a type of self-actualization if you truly view yourself as this character, right? If it truly is your second life, to, to, to rephrase the title of the podcast. And I think they may have a point when it comes to people who might be more inclined to play these types of games. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of reasons why I would play an RPG. Uh, one for 
just the experience of playing in an open world game where I want to just relax. And two, it would also be a kind of escape for my own life because I, I can quite literally lead a second or a third kind of life in this game where I, I can't lead now. So maybe that's what the author meant more by self-actualization. If you, true, if, you, if you identify with the character as you or as an ideal version of you, to see that character succeed and do what it wants to do is potentially a kind of actualization, right? Um, yeah. But that's, that's playing with the term in my mind. It's, it's not really actualization. It's, it's, Isn't that all it's philosophy displacement. Too? I guess <laughs> we just play with terms all day. <laughs> it's it's a kind of it's a kind of displacement, um, and I you you can see, so when I think of displacement in characters, the only like you know, massively multiplayer games are Warhammer, where, where people have gone insane because their character has died and they have died. Um, yeah, I never had that with with Fable or these other games because you just restart and goes back nothing happened there's no consequence but i guess in certain games there's more of a deep level consequence with if you die something happens to you yeah um self-expression self-expression i think is more concrete and it does give you you know it, it gives you some kind of choice even though the choices might be arbitrary or binary when it especially comes to these moral choices but it yeah. does give you at least a way to express yourself in these games that is validating um, because there's positive choices that come with it after, or there's negative choices. So it reinforces certain, I know, I know some games kind of help reinforce certain moral codes by giving mm. punishments and consequences, uh, at least in the immediate sense for these negative choices. If you keep going, there's a, there's a positive at the end, but you've had to, your, your character at this point is pure evil. <laughs> there's also a subgenre of game that i don't know if they're still still in vogue anymore but they were popular in the early 90s up until maybe the early 2000s and they were um text-based rpgs basically like mm -hmm. a tabletop D, D game but you are logged onto a server there are however many people are playing i i played one when i was in high school there were maybe 30 or 40 regular players and there is no conclusion to the story. You were literally playing uh, an endless D&D &D game. Yeah. And I think there were a lot of people that were playing those that were living what they wanted to be as their best life. Yeah. You know, they could be powerful. They could be confident. They could be the person that they are or that we all are when we have that confront confrontation or conversation at work. And then we go home, we're like, oh, I should have said that. You actually have that beat where you can think about what you're going to say and then you type out the response, and then in real time, you get responses from, from other people. Yeah. So you're genuinely testing out parts of your personality, and whether that make, made anybody a better person or just made them all you know, vindictive individuals who thought that they could smash their way to victory, who, know, who knows? Who knows if there was a positive or a negative outcome for that? Yeah. But that's one of the places I can see where self-expression can turn into self-actualization. Because there I'm actually communicating in the same way that I communicate with people in the real world. Right? As much as it's, you know, punch X, grab Y, there's also just the conversational part where you're building a character, you're building up relationships. And yeah. you can see how that plays out in the game. And if it works, you can take those skills and maybe start employing them in the real world after you've been rewarded or after you've found out that they work and you develop them a little bit more. Yeah, and even, even more of, an, of a generic kind of, you know, bland sense, 
it gives people an, an outlet for expression. It, it, there is, there's, these games seemingly serve some kind of psychological need for us. Yeah. Um, that, you know, books, sports, conversations, friends, all of these things have a place in human well-being. And games may actually have a place. They're not just this dumb thing that kids do. Um, adults play them for various reasons. It's not always the same kind of games. Um, yeah. They give us something. They, they, it's not just a feel-good. There's seemingly something that's more attached to who we are that might mean more to us that we don't give credit for towards games. Because when you look at a game, you're seeing you know, fancy, real-life, blah, blah, blah. But you can also fly. You have magic powers. and <laughs> you, you can kind of you know, disassociate whatever the benefits are and say, oh, whatever. It's just a waste of your time. Yeah. But probably not. I mean, there, there's something that seemingly is psychologically healthy or at least psychologically beneficial to playing these games. And I would it, think so. Yeah. It, it also, so the, the last thing that I, that I have more in mind that I want to talk about as well, and if there's more, let's keep going. But one of the things I really like about these open world games is that it gives the player a sense of control that they can't always have in their own life. Mm-hmm. And, and not always as a means of escape if you're in a horrible situation, but just, regular life is basically out of your control you can only do so much but in games you can act as that god figure that has total control over your own world your own well-being and happiness and that's pleasant to us because we like to seek out little pockets of control that we can in a more chaotic world that we're in right um i would say most people have a habit or a hobby that they do that is probably built around the idea of control. Um, sure. Baking, for example, became freaking crazy during COVID. It wasn't because <laughs> people were just yeah. at home and bored. It was because you can control every aspect of that. You can control every little detail, and it's up to you in this world that nothing is under your control now, where you're just at the whim of everything going on. You have a little you know, thing that's yours that no one else can interfere with. And that is... Yes. That's psychologically healthy to have because you need some kind of grounding too. Absolutely. I think games can give you a kind of grounding um, through that self-determination that may help with self-expression and self-actualization because you now feel more confident and comfortable to control and express aspects of yourself throughout these games, which you can't do in real life, whatever this is. Yeah. Yeah, the, the ability to take some authorship in how things unfold, like you can in baking, yeah. like you mentioned. I think it says something that the world that we live in has become so chaotic to some people. That this, no, this notion of even going back, say, 40 years, the notion that a family of four could be supported by one person working 40 hours a week, that seems like a superpower to a lot of people these days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that, you know, a lot of people are working two or three jobs, they're, they may be educated, but they're underemployed, or they're overemployed, but not making a, a living wage for where they live. Like somebody making even minimum wage in Ontario, 14 bucks in Toronto, you're probably not affording a bachelor apartment on your own on that no, income. You're living with several people. Yeah. So the, the fact that I can go be uh, a captain of a ship or I can be the leader of a merry band of friends is something that is now becoming more and more alien to people. Forget 
everything else, but the pandemic alone, you can't get together with six people that you don't live with. Yep. So you're not that, that idea of a merry band of, of do-gooders is, is alien to some people. And then you do the bigger thing. Like, well, if I want groceries, I got to work at least a week. Like my grocery grocery bill, we just went and bought maybe a week and a half's worth of groceries. And it's going to be about 120 bucks, maybe $140. Yeah. That's 10 hours of work for somebody making minimum wage. Yeah. So you think you do that four times a week. That's your whole, you work, you work one to three weeks of your life. 30 hours-ish, so maybe a week of your life, just to buy groceries. Forget anything else you want to buy. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of want to live in that world where I don't have to worry about my grocery budget or worry about if I've got enough to eat or if I'm going to cover my hydro bill. I want to be able to just go out and help some people because that's the kind of person that I would love to be if I wasn't overburdened by chronic stress and fatigue because of all the other responsibilities I have just to have a roof over my head, food on my table, and maybe see some friends when COVID finally wraps up or when the government finally lets us see people again. Yeah. And, and this goes back to that quote that I was paraphrasing, right? We, we have to, all of our actions, our, our desires, who we are is really, you know, constrained by the pressures of our real world. And it is nice to have this other world where we don't have these pressures. And it's not just an escapism. It's not just a thing that makes us feel better. Like when I have a beer after a tough day, the, like, you know, the, the argument that we've been kind of toying with and, and trying to figure out is video games may have kind of expression in basic human needs. It, it may be one outlet that we have. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, these kind of objective good things, right? If, if they help with human well-being contextually, sure, that sounds great. We should probably even be promoting doing these things for some people, especially if they have you know, limitations when it comes to physical limitations in the world where, the, where they can't go out. So all of us right now, when we, we can't actively go out, it's amazing to just, you know, pop in a game and I can be in ancient Athens, you know, climbing the Agora and doing whatever I feel like, because I can't do that outside now. I can't even go walking down the street without, you know, wearing a mask and feeling like a cat that's just been like soaking its face in water all day. And a couple of dirty looks from people are like, why are, where are you going? Yeah. So I think games can express this kind of basic human need thing. And that's what the article, I think, at its core is trying to get at, is that it's not just Mm -hmm. a form of entertainment. And they're they're going about it by trying to show us how it's this, you know, potential route for self-actualization and showing us who you are. And that's fine. I think it's a bit heavy-handed, but I think the research fills out. It's definitely self-expression that kind of self-determination and control and depending on your version of actualization, I think, I think it plays out pretty well. No, that makes sense to me. I think it it says something valuable about human nature too. When you look at taking it just outside of role-playing games, you look at something like Minecraft, there are people that are willing to spend thousands of hours to say, create a portion of middle earth or the Shire in Minecraft. Yep. And it's not just it's not just kids that have all the free time in the world. It's adults who, in their spare time, are doing this. They released a program a little while ago, would have been a couple of years ago now, uh, to try and figure out how certain proteins folded to cause certain genetic issues mm-hmm. or other things. And they did this as an open source. They released it just to people to tinker around with because the computer computing program power that we had would have taken ages. And they found some novel bending in certain kinds of proteins based on all the rules of protein folding. 
that gave them substantial answers as to why certain diseases might function the way they do or what what's going on with certain protein folds that cause certain things. This was entirely open source, right? Millions of people downloaded this, maybe to contribute to medical science, but because it was a puzzle that they wanted to be solved. Yeah. It really is remarkable looking at how much effort people will put into to solve puzzles and to build things and to make, make substantive differences in the world if you take away some of those life pressures. Yeah. It, it lets them, for better lack, you know, express parts of their characters that they can't express in real life because of pressures, right? Things just constraining their actions. Um, this was a weird, like, when I first thought of this, uh, and I, I wrote out like the show notes and I, I proposed it to you, I thought it was a really interesting topic um, because it, it takes the scientific data that we have through this, through this journal and it kind of, we, you know, we, we, can, we can look at some of these scientists saying things about self-actualization and expression and then break it down in philosophical terms because that is kind of the goal of philosophy. That's, that is partly why we're still needed is that the scientists can't do it the same way that we can. We can't do the science. There's no freaking chance I'm doing science. <laughs> but if they're going to throw out terms like identity and self-actualization, then certainly that's when I, you know, my, my, the philosophical hairs on my neck go up and I start thinking, well, let's, let's make sure that you're not doing this, you know, heavy handedly or something's going awry. Um, so, I mean, I thought this was a super fruitful discussion. I used to play video games. I occasionally still play uh, card games online. I have been known to, you know, occasionally look at these like action fighting books where you kind of pick your own destiny and you can you know roll the die i i really <laughs> wanted to buy those recently but i've looked at people playing them on twitch and there's another version of self-expression that i have that i'd like to do so hopefully you found this interesting as well and you signed that was up fun it, so yeah absolutely i committed and once you commit to something you might have to follow through <laughs> very true um, I've, I've been playing shorter games. I don't have, because of life responsibilities, I don't have a lot of time to invest anymore. I can't sit down and play a game for four hours. I'm yeah. lucky if I can get, in, get a half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. So I've been playing some of the, um, some of those games, like I mentioned from like until dawn, where you can punch out the whole story in maybe two hours. That studio is making some really nice games. And I wish I could remember the, the series of it. Uh, one is Man of Medan, and the other is Little Hope. And it's part of an anthology that they're putting together. But the story is about two hours. You get all the elements of choice and a little bit of freedom, and they're a survival horror to a certain extent. So they you know, right, get that rush of endorphins. But I really do appreciate the reminder that I, what video games can be for people. Because I know when I was, I know that was my outlet in university when I couldn't go out because I either didn't have the money or because I couldn't justify leaving the house. You could throw in a video game, play it for an hour or two, come back to it later. But it was really nice to get that escape and to feel like, yeah, maybe if I was put in the right circumstances, I could be could be a hero. I could be a villain. I could be whatever I want to be. Yeah, it's something that you would like to do, but you know, given the way that things are, you just can't act that way, right? Like I don't know, one of the basic things I would like to, you know, I'd like to donate more money. I'd like to help out, like different charities, but I just don't have the finances. And I know people will say, well, you know, I'm also living a life similar to yours and I still find money for this. Well, that's your context. 
right? I, I am, I, my job is never guaranteed based on what I do. So even if I'm making similar to you in four months, I might be making nothing. Um, and it's hard for me to justify helping all these other people out when I have a wife and dependents and family that also need me and my support. Um, but in video games, there's no, there's no checks and balances. I can do whatever I feel like. I can act out in ways that I would like, including you know, helping these other NPCs or, or helping, you know, if you're that cleric or medic role, you get to help other people. That's your whole goal. It's one aspect of my character that I can't actualize in the real world, but I can actualize in these games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that probably wraps it up for me. Well, I think the, the key here is that you, we've touched on a couple of things that are of value. Video games are a place where we can engage in empathy, and I think they're a pretty good gauge of, of people's empathy because you're talking about a relationship with an NPC. And not necessarily everybody should be able to emote personality and emotional weight to the feelings and behaviors of an NPC, but some people can. And I think that tells us something about who we are as people. Uh, the fact that we can express certain parts of ourselves that we can otherwise not express or not freely express in society is also of value here. If you're talking about someone who's maybe questioning their sexuality or their sexual orientation or, or their preferences even, the fact that you can engage in, in multiple kinds of relationships in games, create characters that look a certain way and test out how you feel with that character and putting your emotions into that character, that's of value too. And does it directly translate into self-actualization? Maybe not in the way that the article might overstate, but that might just be the fact that they're not philosophers and they're using this term to mean more than they actually mean. Hopefully yeah. their conclusion is a little bit more modest and they're talking about expression like we've been. Yeah. But there is a sense that what you actualize in games, you can, you can experience and then maybe take that out into the world. If you love Minecraft, if you, like, if you love building, maybe that translates into engineering. Maybe it doesn't. It doesn't have to be monetary. It might just be a nice expression of yourself. And then we would be back with expression. And I don't think you can really shatter that claim. Yeah. I think you're right. And I'm happy to end on, on that note for this, for this week. We got to end somewhere. It may as well be here. It was, it was a good wrap up of, of, of you know, some of the problems with the article, the benefits and kind of where we fit in. So I'm happy with that. Um, that's probably it for me. Be it for you now too. If you hopefully, shut me off, it's it for me too. <laughs> I cease to exist when this conversation ends. Hopefully you all enjoyed this conversation. Um, we'll have another one up in a, in a couple of weeks as well, doing another pop culture reference. And um, we have a couple episodes planned. Some of them are more in-depth than others. Some of them are going to get a little bit dark and murky, but we'll Every try and we get baby. We'll, we'll try and have fun with them all. So thanks again for watching. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. If you like the video, please leave a like. And don't forget, we're also on Spotify and pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast at this point. I think we're up and running on all that. All right, this has been the Untitled Philosophy Podcast. Thanks again. Thanks again.